Hello, my friend. Hello, hello. Before we begin today, I would like to register a complaint. Okay. I'm, I'm, as I settle into the pile of blankets that are here in our very chilly closet, uh, we had so much content warning and preparation and buildup and explanation, I felt like we lacked witty banter. You and know, I, I think you're probably right. I want to complain about a lack of witty banter formally. I want to go on record as saying our banter was not there. It was not on point. And uh, I, I expect you to do better with me in the future as we fail together. Do you realize that you just used the phrase on point? Correctly in a sentence. Correctly in a sentence, yeah. Yeah, I did. What's your point? I don't know, really. Do you want to go my brain w- my, my, my brain was substituting on fleek, and I thought you'd use, like, one of those hip words, and then I realized after I said it that really you just said on point, which which is actually a valet term, and I don't know why it's So I'm being pretentious in French, and you're trying to be hip. That's what just happened here. I actually tried to point out that you were trying to be hip, but and, you weren't. I was wrong. You failed... Your check it. I'm old enough that we do not do jokes involving me being hip because we're always a little bit afraid that I might sprain one, dislocate mm-hmm. one, or break one. So you can pretty much guarantee that I am never going to be that person. However, I think considering you just tried to throw me under a bus and missed, my complaint about banter is sorted now. And with that in mind, I feel like we've once again stumbled up a flight of stairs, stopped at a landing where, interestingly, there's a hat rack, which I've never mentioned before. I'm fleshing out the universe, you see. Ah, very nice. So there's a hat rack there, which the only reason I own is because it's been on stage. We're going to turn the corner, walk through a door, cross across a room full of crap into a closet to sit down with you, who's going to mock me about my relative lack of hip. So we can do this wonderful thing that we call Two Clowns in a Closet. Brought to you by Us. Two Clowns. Oh, yeah. Two Clowns in a Closet. That's why we gave it the name. Yeah. 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 So, yes. so we're here and, and I'm excited because cause now we're doing we're doing an episode with the cards. Yes. This first is, episode uh, with with our question yeah, cards. You know, because we we did a we did a recap what you missed. Yes. And now now we're going to do the thing. And I'm I'm excited. I am also excited. Um I do have a question though. You have a question. And admittedly, uh by the time that everybody's everybody's uh listening to this, they'll probably know the answer to this, but I don't right now because we're we're recording this in the past. Um was last episode episode 0 or episode 1? Or was it episode 9? Oh. I think it would have only been episode eight. No, no. If you're would... talking from the beginning. Oh, the... Last episode. Oh, last episode. This would be episode nine. Or season two, episode two? One? See, this is God, my question. I don't know. I say, if I may be so bold, that this is a continuance of the shenanigans that we do here. Okay. And and I I'm willing to accept whatever judgment as to numeric Values. Sure, that's a good... Thank you for... You see, I was near the bus and you pulled me back at the last second. That's the banter I need. That's what we need. Thank not Not you. so much me throwing you under one, but me pulling you back. So Got I don't, it. So I don't 
mumblingly stumble into the street. Correct. Why is so much of today's theme about me stumbling around like a fool? I don't know. Two clowns. Oh, yeah. That's a good name for the show, really. Yeah, really. That's really, we should keep that. But yeah, okay, so we have forgotten how to do this, apparently. Clearly. But we have cards, and all we have to do is re- take turns reading them to each other and then answer them, and then everybody goes home happy. Except for us, we're already happy and we're already at home. Yes. So. But we'll be allowed back out of the closet. And given snacks. And probably some tea. It is cold. It is cold. All right. With that in mind, I've got the cards. I'm going to get us on the rails. We may go off the rails by the time it's done. But let's start there. Because it's a nice place to start. Everything seems calm and then you go nuts. I got it. Here's my glasses. They're on my face. Here's the cards which you wrote in your beautiful handwriting. And here is the first question of this episode. Is the burning of the house clown scene from Dumbo something based on real shows or just pure fantasy? That is something based on real shows. It is. Um, yeah, that's that is a classic American clown setup and a classic American ga- clown gag um, that's been used in circuses across America for a very, 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 very long time. Um, because a lot of so the the cool thing about things like that gag is you have a setup very quickly established where people understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because you see, for anybody who has not seen uh, Dumbo, and I have only seen the old animated film. I have not. I I, I know there's been a newer one. They they redid it. I have not seen it. I, I don't I didn't know how that went. I didn't know that had happened. So, yeah, um, okay, there's stuff for us to watch. But the scene essentially looks like this. You have you have a set piece uh, that looks like a house. And either through actual flame effects or through um, lights and or lights and streamers you have evidence that that house is on fire. Standard comedy. Yeah. What? Um, <laughs> You're going to agree to that. Keep going. Keep going. You're explaining the gag. Oh, sometimes fire is in play in standard comedy. Um, house is on fire. Uh, somebody is trapped in the top floor of the house. Um, a... Troop of the troop of clowns because it's the same clowns that you would have would have seen earlier in the circus show. Come in in their firefighter gear and have to go about rescuing their compatriot uh, from this burning house, and that can play out lots of different ways. But hopefully in a funny way, because that's the goal. The goal is that it ends up clowns in a a circus Um, in in the film. I believe the way that that tends to go down is um, they go to catch. They have Dumbo um, being the 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 baby, the baby in the the window. And um, I Mm. believe they have a setup where they're supposed to catch him in a um in a trampoline 
one of the, the carry-out trampolines, but it's intentionally a breakthrough one. So he ends up in, like, a bucket of water instead or something like that. I don't remember because it's been a really long time since I've seen the film. Yeah. It's always suds. Suds and, you know, it's... Uh, I remember Dumbo being very sad about this, but the, the, the clown presentation tends to be quite funny about it in theory. Um, in theory? I don't know if it actually is funny. I've never actually seen it done. You haven't seen this one? I've never seen this one oh, done. Oh, I know that it's been done for oh. years, but I've never actually seen it done. Um, I do know that that's done with somebody who is a skilled performer. Some it's sort of done, acrobat. It, yeah, some sort of acrobat. It's done in a very safe way. It's done in a way that ends up being a surprise, but funny. You know why that is? There's a shortage of flying elephants. Yes. You definitely don't end up with the surprise ending uh, from the Dumbo film <laughs> where the elephant flies. <laughs> that typically not the way it's done. Also, typically, that's not them throwing a animal performer as the baby. I don't know that that's ever been done I don't know that that's live, ever been done. And I hope it hasn't because I don't, I, I don't actually like working on shows with animals. So, and definitely not something where they would endanger the no, animals. That's, no. That seems very un, unlike the way that the business of circus is done because you don't endanger your animals. They're expensive. Even if you don't feel like they're, they're beings with that, that need to be respected and have care given to them, which I do, but even if you don't think that, they're expensive. You don't risk them. I love watching the look on your face that realizes that it's about to get letters and then you say more and then it goes away and then you know you're done talking and I just watched it happen and it's a thing to see that I know everyone's going to miss and uh, you're probably still getting letters. Oh, probably. We hope we're getting letters. Look, I can be aware that it's done as a business and that sometimes the decisions are business decisions while still feeling like a human being who cares about things. I'm glad you're a human being that cares about things. Um... So I will turn this around and yeah. ask you, because I know that I've only got a, a basic idea of it. Um, is the Burning House clown scene from Dumbo something based on real shows or just pure fantasy? I, I love how after several old jokes about me, we're now going to count on my wisdom to, to bring this Please home. Please tell me that you know more about history than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, having lived through some of it, um, yeah, it, it's a classic, it is a classic American ring gag. Usually it's done, you have a troop of clowns, and I, I always joke that clowns are like Barbie. You know, you can take a take Barbie, put Barbie in an astronaut suit, and it's astronaut Barbie, but it's always Barbie. Mm-hmm. The clowns do the same thing. They throw on the firefighter gear, they dress up like a baby, they are still their clowns doing this very self-aware bit of physical comedy. In American clown, in circuses especially, when you go on a show, you're taught a gag. And the idea is, it's like a jazz standard. Here's the, here's the choreography. Here's the basic idea. Now, what you bring to it is you. Yes. Interestingly, European clown theater takes the opposite approach. Um, the, the theater side of it looks at it and says, get rid of all the gags and what's still, get rid of all the, the shenanigans and the shtick and the, the ways we hide. And what's left is really the clown. Yes. So it's a, it's a completely different approach, ironically, to, uh, to arrive at the same exact place. Now, I haven't done this gag, 
But I have done some of the big arena gags. And in fact, you and I worked on in a show, we worked on a classic gag by a clown I really adore, is long since passed. Otto Griebling did a boxing ring gag. And this is a classic. There is film of it out there if you can find it. But it's a, you set up a boxing ring and you have, you have the champ who's the bad guy and it's just overacted. And that's usually Otto Griebling. You have the chump who's the new challenger. And then you have the referee, which in the version we did, you played. Yes. And what this amounts to after several rounds of fighting is that the champ takes a swing at the chump, the chump ducks and uh, the referee gets hit. And then the referee knocks out the champ, leaving the chump as the victor of of the of the bout. Yes, and you played the champ. I did. I played the ref, um, and so that meant that I got to just lay you out. You did in front of about five hundred people. Punch me in the face. That was a blast. I love how happy you look right now. What I enjoy, and this is an example of that. What you bring to it, we took that gag, that simple idea. And there are all these moments where, okay, and a thing happens. You know, what does each round of the boxing match look like? And we brought our own stuff to it. We brought our own ideas to it. Uh, I had the idea that I really wanted to get the audience physically involved. So we had audience members up on stage holding the rope that became the boxing ring. And one of them had a bell and one of them held up signs. So we had these extra elements. But the idea was... That was what we as a performing company and as our clowns brought to it was the way we played it. Yes. So I think there it was actually a really good example of this sort of gag, this sort of gag like the burning Mm -hmm. house. Not that I'm as big a fan of burning houses as apparently you are. But uh, I love I love the idea that we can have uh, we can have this basic thing that everybody involved knows. And then it's really to show off what these silly people do. Yeah. And I think. One of the things that I find interesting, um, because you pointed out, you know, not a fan of burning houses, and nobody's a fan of, actually a fan of houses burning. I hope not. Um, And, I mean, boxing, plenty of people enjoy boxing that's legitimately happening, but... Confession, not a sports person had to actually look up information about boxing to be able to do the boxing gag. (laughs) Just want to put it out there. Um, But I think one of the things that's interesting is that so much of circus, you have your skill performers, and a big part of a lot of the presentation of skill performance is heightening the concept of the danger involved. And there is legitimately danger involved, but the idea is to make it seem Very dramatic and very potentially dangerous on top of whatever actual danger is there. I like flipping this on its head. I've had a um, I've had an act where I actually got permission from another clown to steal their act. Uh, I actually called them up and asked and they do a high dive act into a sponge. And so it, it is impossibly silly. And, and you've inverted the danger because you've gone so far with the premise of diving off a chair into a sponge that there's no way that that's actually a real thing. And then I put my own spin on you, put your own stuff on it. And that's the thing, is that the when you see clowns performing, mm-hmm. for the most part, because I've seen a couple of examples where this isn't the case, but for the most part, when clowns perform, you're never afraid that someone's actually going to get hurt. Well, they're like cartoons. They're like cartoons. We they know. bounce. No one's going to get hurt. So the minute that you see the clowns coming out... Or the clowns stuck 
in the burning building. It's the clowns. We know everyone's going to be safe. We know it's all like we know that it's likely to go wrong. But everyone's coming out. But at the end of the day, everyone's coming out okay. You know, the other thing that's worth mentioning, as people are are fans of the the behind-the-scenes stuff that we talk about, uh, usually these big set pieces are also an opportunity while this big performance, like if you think about a multi-ring circus, this big performance thing is going on here, there are people moving equipment outside of the spotlight. There are things, it is being used not only as an opportunity to highlight the clowns, but also to do some architectural move in the show. Oh yeah, because you've got this huge set piece, right? And so, so no all one can the see anything there. behind it, yeah. And uh, no one can see anything going on behind it, and all the attention is really focused in the in in whatever ring and I, that's I, going on in. I like that in in our smaller, more intimate shows that we've done that we use that same idea. Like we'll we'll do a little piece of something here that kind of redirects focus and energy and attention while we're setting up for the next big thing. And I think oh, that, yeah. that it also provides a lot of. I call it shape. When you're building variety shows, you have to have the big act, the soft act. If you put something sad, you have to kind of bracket it with something happy. If you put something daredevilish and intense, you want to have something to to kind of make it feel better on either side of it. Exactly. And so that's that's the thing is that you've got all of these daredevilish and intense things. And And then then even if you've got something where the setting is theoretically dangerous, Mm -hmm. because you're dealing with clowns, you're letting off some of that tension you're blowing off that tension oh, so sure. so you have you know you have your high wire act where everyone is terrified and yes everyone claps and there is some release of tension at the end but you still need a steam valve the end of that absolutely out absolutely and let people relax and let people calm down and so getting to see somebody who does a silly high dive which isn't that high and I jumped off a chair well, I was thinking that there yeah, is a the, high dive in the in many versions of of that. Oh of, yeah, of yeah, the, yeah. The burning house gag, um, where it's set up like there is no danger. Sure. It lets people release some of that tension, which I think. I good. I will say oh, my final thought on this is that if you do see an act where you see somebody stumbling around being bad at something. Like in a tightrope or a, or a trampoline act or any acrobatic stunt, if you see someone who's particularly clumsy, they're probably the best one in the company. In all likelihood. In yeah. all likelihood, they're usually the, the best one doing that because it's so hard to convincingly and reliably do something badly. That's some, that's some Victor Borgia piano playing nonsense with your body. Yes. Yeah. I think we've, I think we've answered it. All right. Well, now that we've explored a, a lot of that... And, and accidentally shilled for Disney. I feel weird about it. It's a little weird about that. but It's uh, all right. It's fine. It's all right. Um, they do it for us. <laughs> they do. All right. They don't. <laughs> no, but they, they, they've gotten the concept of clowns out there. Although, admittedly, those clowns got really drunk. Moving on. I was about to just reach over and grab you and pull you back from the bus. I saw you looking out to see if it was there. I've got questions on cards. I'm going to ask you one At of them. At any point, you could just remember that. Yep, that's where I got to. I'm that's good. That's why I love this. No I'm matter good. how deep a hole I dig, I'm safe. You were saying. Do you have a least favorite gag or routine? If so, what is it? Oh, I absolutely do. I have I have a, a least favorite genre of thing. 
Um, this stems out of the fact that I got to study with an amazing teacher named Avner Eisenberg, Avner the Eccentric. And one of the things Avner is particularly known for is how well he works with audiences. And it was something that I was very interested in because I enjoy it when it works, which is where you see someone go into the audience and get a person and they bring them on stage. And Avner's whole take was that you want to give them the win. You want to make them look good. You want to make them have such a good idea, you know, good time that the next person gets the idea that uh, they might get to go up next. And you want Mm -hmm. that. You want that feeling. What I hate. So that's that's what I learned. What I hate is when I see it's done badly, because when it's done badly, it's it feels like terrorism. You're going into the audience. You're grabbing someone who doesn't want to be there. You're pulling them on stage. You're using them as a prop. And in and at best, you're making them feel bad, and at worst, you're actually endangering them. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I got my start as a juggler before I moved into working as a clown. Yeah. And the thing about that was is one of the very common things jugglers are asked to do is, you know, juggle around people. Yeah. And I... It always felt a little weird, but until I studied with Ofner, I didn't understand the reason why was I was literally saying, well, this this act isn't very interesting, so let's endanger somebody. And mm-hmm. the only inversion of that that ever played out was the most dangerous thing I've ever done as a juggler, which there was an act. We used to have a sword swallower and another juggler, my juggling partner, Alan, at the time. Um, and the sword swallower swallowed a seventh blade, and we called the act the seven blades. We juggled six knives around that. And it took uh, probably two years to get it down. Oof. I'd like to point out that all of those people are fine. They have just retired and gone on to other things. It is a spectacular act, but it was the ultimate, once I knew better, mm-hmm. we put a performer there. We added the danger ourselves. We, we assessed the risk. So I felt like that that was a nice inversion of this idea of don't use people as props. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, we've also done... <laughs> we've we've made parents feel bad. Oh, I, I was going to leave it. I, I was going to leave it alone, but it, it, there is this terrible problem. You have, you have two clowns and six juggling clubs and someone will grab their kids and say, juggle around our kids for a photo. And they'll say that to you like they know it. And you go, okay. And you... You, the first, you reassure the kids. You have to. You get down, you go, we are really good at this and we got you. And then you proceed to scare the parents. Yes. You have to say, and if you, you know, and if you hear this sound, we're really sorry. And, and then, and then while juggling around the kids, let's hear it for child endangerment. Yeah. Which, which, if Uh. you've, if you've hyped up your, your little audience, uh, well enough they'll do a half a cheer for and, and then, then they'll realize what you said and you hear it just die so one time i did this and we told the kids when we were down mm-hmm. reassuring them and making sure that they were if they weren't on board we weren't doing it mm-hmm. we told them when we say ta-da go <laughs> at the audience so we go let's hear it for endangering your kids and the kids went <laughs> And I, I thought it was the perfect way to do that. Um, I will say I don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't like doing it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something for specific, specific times when it, when it seems right. And, and you know, I want to go back to some of, to, to the thing that you were pointing out is when, when this is done really badly. 
because I've seen it done really badly by somebody who is really well respected. And I'm not going to call out who it was because I'm sure they're not the only one doing it. But I was at a performance that was organized uh, as a very large celebration for a child's birthday. So it wasn't like a birthday party. It was a stage show, but it was for a kid's birthday. And this performer dragged up the, I don't know, eight, nine-year-old child, dragged them up on stage. It's already sounding bad. Yeah, dragged them up on stage, put them in like a half costume, like, you know, something you can easily put on, declared that she was the princess in the story he was going to tell. Um... Shortly thereafter, dragged up uh, a young boy about the same age up onto the stage, declared him the prince, put some little piece of costuming on him. I don't even remember the whole story, but told the little, little fairy tale story, pressured these children to kiss on stage. What? <coughs> oh, hang on. Seriously? Seriously. Oh, no. <clears throat> and both of these children looked mortified. Of course they did. They were not okay. They were not happy. And I believe it was the girl's birthday. Like, I believe that was the birthday girl. Oh, that's horrible. That's horrible. And there's a certain level where you, you, you look at that and you go, how on earth is this something that anyone ever does? But I happened to be in the back of the theater, where I was standing next to the parents who had orchestrated this event. And they were laughing their heads off. And they were quietly telling the story to another set of parents about how their child who was now in their late teens, still had a problem hearing the name of the performer or hearing a couple of key terms from the act because it was still a trauma that they had not yet processed. And they were laughing about this. That's... The, I think the, the darkest reality of this sort of entertainment is the fact that children don't get to choose the performer. Parents book the entertainment. Exactly. And I think, unfortunately, you will see this happen. And if you're someone whose focus is on bookings and not doing good work, then you're going to do what gets you hired. And if that, I can see the, the sequence of events that leads that to becoming normalized, and it's really horrible, considering how much work we put in to reducing trauma, reducing fear, providing steam valve for people. Working, if somebody comes to us and says, hey, we have a friend who's afraid of, afraid of clowns, can you spend time with them in a you know, setting where they've consented to? And we work, my favorite compliment is when someone comes to us after a show and says, I hate clowns, but I love you guys. 
when I hear that, I know we're doing our job because they don't hate clowns. They hate what you're describing. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's just, it's hard to hear mm-hmm. because it is unfortunately in every, and I think it's in every line of work. It's so prevalent because big reactions are funny to people. And, yeah. You know, and I, I putting finger quotes around that. And I just I just really dislike the idea that that's OK when and this may come as a shock to many of those people. There are plenty of other ways to be really funny without using kids like props or instilling traumas or mocking or bullying people. You don't need to do any of that. No, you really don't. There's plenty of other ways that you can you can be funny. And part of that is that the clown is who gets mocked or bullied or right when or whatever because that's the that's the whole point. The point is that the clown can take it. There, there are going to be the ones that they have the experience, and you have the you as the audience have the empathy for it, and ultimately they can come out the other side of that. And 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 when they win, the audience because they're being the avatar of the audience, the the, the, audience, the audience wins, wins. exactly. Yeah. And that is that's how I work. I know other people's mileage may vary, but uh, don't don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Okay. Well, you've kind of answered this, or did no, you? No, 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 no. I have. I you know what? I I have a way to turn this one around. Ask me the question. You have a way to turn around. That you just you just went on a a, a soapbox tirade against uh, terrible performers. I mean, I don't know if it turns it around completely, but I do have an answer to this question that is a separate answer from the one you gave. Okay. Let me ask you the question then. As we, I, I'm having a lift before. I, I don't feel like I should hand it yet. I'm like, oh, no, no. This is the instinct of the clown. Don't give that to anyone else. No, no. Let me, we, let we me be here with this. it. Yeah, let me be here in the bad place no, for it'll a be, minute. No, it'll be all right. It'll be all right? It'll okay. be all right. Okay. As long as it's not a complaint, we'll be fine. No promises. No, well. <laughs> Do you have a least favorite gag or routine? If so, what is it? Um, so I'm going to I'm going to frame this the the what you've when you answered, you shared something that you don't do. No, I don't. That's what the definition of the least favorite thing is that thing that I don't do. Which I, admittedly, um, if you don't like doing something, don't put it on stage. Uh, the danger the danger in that is because someone will look at it and go, oh, you're the person who does that, and then hire you to do it 150 to 200 times a year for multiple years as punishment for you hating it. Karmically yeah, so speaking, don't, that's, don't do something you that's don't like where doing. you're going. But that said, I'm going to answer this question with my least favorite of the things I am willing to do. So this is, this is the, the, the bad gig. This is the bad gig. Oh, I want to hear your bad gig because I don't actually know. So, there is a thing that occasionally happens. For the most part, what we do is either we do a stage show where we gather everybody's attention and it's all on us. We do a set of, you know, we do a performance or we do uh, audience interactive stuff at an event. So we'll be out there and directly interacting with so people. So roving through a festival. Roving through a festival, okay. but talking with people, interacting with people. Um, there are events which will ask for you to do part of that, 
but not the actual interactive part. I, I tend to think of it as wallpaper juggling or screensaver juggling, where they want you to be there and be doing something interesting, but they don't want you to actually gather people's attention. They want you to be able to just catch people's attention if they feel like it. Which is not a very pleasant way to work, to be perfectly honest. I owe you an apology. Do you know why you got so many of those gigs early on? Why? Because I'm really bad at them. <laughs> no, when you first joined when you first joined up and you yeah. were you wanted to be comfortable out in crowds and stuff, I kept putting you on those. Because I'm if I go on one of those and I have, I have in recent you know, not recent recent history, yeah. but I have. The problem is I'm no good at being a lava lamp. Yeah. I immediately draw crowds. I mean, so yeah. I I can work. do it. I can do it. I don't love doing it, but it is it is totally possible for me to do it. I tend to do that by doing um Diablo or Diabolo. I have a glow I have a, a light up LED one. You're a literal lava lamp. And so <laughs> I will just stand there in like a suit. So dark, muted colors. With a light up With problem. something slightly flashy uh, to, to show that I'm a performer. And then a light up little sphere <laughs> that I will make bounce around and do interesting patterns in the air. And um, lava lamp. Lava lamp. Yeah. Well, Don't love being a lava lamp. I, but I, I will be a lava lamp if we can't convince the person orchestrating the event that that is not the thing they actually want. I'll keep that in mind for future bookings. Um, and again, my apologies. So, well, that was that was a well-answered question. I've turned it you around. Oh, I have you to, oh, answer them. You, oh, I you, see. You then ask the I, next one. That is how this works. How is it that something as simple as a stack of index cards and I can blow this? I don't know. All right. Oh, this is a good... Two clowns. Two clowns. This is a good one. I like this one. Okay. Where do clown names come from? Ooh, that you, is a good one. That is a good one. Okay. So, in my experience, uh, so with my two clown personas and seeing many young clowns come into being, for the most part, I find that their, their clown names are given to them. Oh, yes. Whether that is by an instructor by another clown. I should apologize to a lot of my students. <laughs> um, whether that is that they find themselves using the nickname that everyone has attached to them for an extended period of time. Somehow it will be something that they did not so much choose as got assigned. And that tends to be with like the clown is totally into it. They're like, yes, this is this is what I'm called. Good. We're going with it. Uh, the performer may or may not be. No I know. Ki- no, I'm watching you build up to the story because I happen to know it. Yeah, no kidding. Because I, I gave you a clown name and you didn't like it, but the clown did. Yes, I did. Yeah. I mean, yes, you did. It was, uh, uh, you made a joke. I one day I walked up to you and said, me Tarzan, you're Jane. And then that clown went, okay. And that was it. We were stuck with it. We're, we're still stuck with it. Yes. Um, so that clown's named Jane. And 
I didn't love it. I did. I did like the fact that it it, it is a family name, so it it was kind of cool Aww. that that ended up being the case. Which is basically how I justified it to myself that it was okay. All I was doing is implying that you were a smaller primate than I was. Uh huh. And uh, and and Jane was cool with that. So that that's how that's how Jane got Jane got her name. Um. Chadwick. What about Chadwick? Chadwick. Okay, so my mother sent me a scan of a piece of paper from her youth. Like she was, I don't know if it was middle school or high school, but when she was young, where she had written out a whole bunch of names, like first name, middle name combinations for her potential offspring. And she'd written out a whole bunch of, of girl names and a whole bunch of boy names. And she had had her mom and her sisters and I don't know if it was cousins or a couple of friends, but a few different people like rate these names. And the lowest rated by friends and family boy name was Chadwick Valentine. What I love about that is it's, one, it's an incredibly cool name. And two, it's the loser name. In a list of names, it got voted the loser, and a clown went, that's me. A hundred percent. There was just a little voice in the back of my head that went, oh, that's me! And you're stuck with it. I was stuck with it. And so Chadwick was named. It's, it's interesting to me also because some people have a bunch of you know like everything they do is a different clown persona different character some people like i've mentioned the barbie thing earlier some have one that has a has a name and and then it plays characters yes. and i've i've seen all of these things yes yeah uh so i will turn i will turn it around mm-hmm. after after sharing where both of my clowns got their names um where do clown names come from <laughs> Well, first of all, I, I joke that I had to apologize to a lot of people. I have a weird knack. My whole life, nicknames slid off of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is because my my full name didn't stick to me and a nickname was assigned to me. Before I, by the time I had left the hospital as an infant, I was Russ and not the full version of that name. Yes. Uh, so there was that. And I think this has just like been the sort of weird nickname armor. Nicknames just, if someone gives me a nickname, it doesn't last correspondingly, the other side of this weird coin is that I have an unusual ability years before this circus stuff. I mean, when I was even younger, if I gave someone a nickname and I wish I had figured it out sooner because it could have been a super useful power. It stuck. I would like, we had groups of people and they all had nicknames and I'd given them to them. And then I got into being a clown and I realized I had named half the clowns I'd known. Oh yeah. And some of that was before I was teaching. I would just say something, and for whatever reason, it would stick. And I'm not suggesting I'm smart. I'm suggesting I have a destructive ability to assign <laughs> to assign categorical nomenclature. I don't, I don't know. But I had this. And so I was very aware of it, and I became very sensitive to it. And um, so I've got that. And as a teacher, you know, I've, I've had students, and, you know, you go this is what I see, and then somehow some version of that invariably comes the, come, becomes the name. The one I always think of is, we have a clown with us, uh, Robert. Yes. And Robert has a clown called Wasso, and we called him, he has funny colored hair. He always has a dyed a different color. Yes. And I said, you're like a bird. And we would all be, hey, bird brain, come here. And we'd always like, you're like a bird, lovely plumage, we would say. 
And invariably, one day the clown told us that his name was Wasso because we had all been studying Tokipona together. And, and that's Tokipona for bird. Exactly. And so that became a whole thing where some of the clowns picked up Tokipona names, some of them pick up uh, nicknames and character names. And uh, Marie's clown is called Foley because she makes weird noises and music. You know, everybody's got a thing. Yeah. Um, I have I have a great story about how I got one of my names because I think it explains vividly what this feels like. Okay. Okay. So at one point... Um, I had got to go to the, uh, they were selling off everything in the production studio of Barney the Dinosaur. They had shut down production and they were liquidating everything but the character costumes. Oh, wow. And I'm I'm pretty sure people know what Barney the Dinosaur is. But if not, I'll I'll, I'll find an article in Lincoln. So, beloved children's show, not one I grew up with. One I I grew up with. Okay. But, uh, so, I'm there. And I'm grabbing stuff left and right. Every hat box. See all those hat boxes up there? We're actually in the closet. Yeah, there's a ton of hat boxes. Every up there. one of those came from the produ- not the hats in them necessarily, but the boxes themselves were in the production studio. Oh wow. Yeah. Um, you know, this pair of pants and that and the other thing. And so what happened was I was I went into a room full of hats and I grabbed Anything that looked like it might be interesting. Oh, that might be a neat character. And one of the things was this hood with floppy ears and a foam rhino horn. And I was like, oh, that could be funny. And I stuffed it in the car. It meant nothing. I grabbed three other things after that that were more important and more, ooh, exciting. This had no, I'm going to say value, even though I'm very attached to it now. But but at this point, it it, it seemed important that it was meaningless. Hold on to that idea as we go through this. So anyway, I got all this stuff and we put it away and I wasn't really thinking about it. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call and there was a, a group doing a summer camp for, I think it was scouting or something. It was a summer camp. Anyway, they said, uh, we've got a big thing. We want to reward the kids. Uh, we've got this thing where we're doing a safari theme. Would you come out you know, and do something, just wander around and hang out and get pictures? And we said, absolutely. We'd be happy to do that. So uh, we have a we have a still walking tree. So the tree went out. Uh, the clown I was working with at the time, Moxie. Moxie had a bow and giant flower, which was hilarious because you could pull it, and when you let go, the flower went six inches and fell into the ground. So <laughs> it was it was instantly funny. And I was like, I don't know what to do for this. And I grabbed a, I grabbed the rhino horn and just whatever costume pieces I that seemed like that might work. And I threw something together and I threw in a clown nose and said, perfect. And I, I got dressed up, and we went out there. And we were told when we got there, oh, yeah, yeah, go up over this hill, and the, the kids are there doing their thing, and you can just join them. I said, great. And uh, the, for whatever reason, uh, Moxie went this way, Tree went that way, left and right. And I said, oh, I'll just go through the middle. And we'll figure we'll all just kind of show up in different places was the idea. So I'm going up, and I go up this hill, and I put my hand on a tree, and uh, I left my body. Because remember, we were told just go wander around with these kids. When we got there, there were 500 kids sitting on chairs in a circle. Multi-ring circus. They were expecting a show, and we didn't have one because we weren't told we were supposed to have one. And I'm sitting there in this costume going, at any second they're going to notice I'm here and I'm dead. They're going to kill me. And I just just go numb. And I realize we have to, we can't not show up. There's clearly, literally people just over there counting on us. Yeah. So I start walking. <laughs> and I kind of question my feet. What were my feet thinking? But I walk, and, and I don't know what to do at this point. 
So I'm just sort of slack. I'm, I'm just, there's nothing going on. And I'm walking and I am afraid. I am very afraid because I don't have a plan. This is not like, ha ha, I don't have a plan. This is, oh no, I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I, I got it in my head that all I had to do was walk across the stage. And I think somewhere subconsciously, my lizard brain was thinking, and if you just keep going, you can make a run for it. <laughs> but I get up going, up going, and I'm dragging my feet, and I'm just, I'm just sort of slumping my way to the middle of this theater, uh, the, this open air amphitheater that's been created, hoping anything happens. I'm like, it's, they, I can feel them noticing. It's kind of hard to miss all of this, and. I take one step and I and my foot kind of arrives at center stage. And I hear from behind me the 250 of the people who have who are now behind me scream, "Hey Rhino!" And in a minute it was like something flipped on inside me and I swear it must have been born out of desperation and human stupidity coming together and making this beautiful baby. And I spun around and said, "That's me." And I started walking, and I did something, and it was okay, and there was Rhino, and Rhino was doing the thing, and I got through it. And I have to calm that down. Um, so, hi, Rhino. Yeah, I was like, hi, hi everybody. Uh, but I, I did the show. Yeah. Uh, and I don't, I, I won't say anything, but it was good. I don't say anything that happened. I don't know, because it was kind of a blur. I turned around and imprinted like a duckling on what these kids had said. Rhino is a rhino. Good enough. That was all I needed. Yeah. Um, and at the end of it, there are three performers who have done a thing, and all of these kids stand up. And I got, I, I'm no longer performing, and my brain goes, oh no, they're going to come for me. And they all reach, and they're sitting on buckets, and they rip the lids off, and they're paint buckets that they rip the lids off, and it makes this. <laughs> A horrible sound and I think they're going to put my head in a bucket I'm going to die here and of course some of the kids went to one performer some of the kids in the other and a bunch of them picked up one of their hands in a fist over their head and had the lids in their hand and ran at me and I literally will never forget I thought the words and this is how I die <laughs> as the first kid got to me and I'm just stilling the reflex not to run or fight Right? Yeah. Because at this point, it's like a zombie horde. And I'm thinking, it's a very short zombie horde. It's still going to eat me, and they're going to put my head in one of those buckets. <laughs> one of them swings their hand forward, and I think, oh, this is it! And I look, and it's a Sharpie. And they're holding the lid, and they want their autograph. They want autographs from all the, the clowns, all the performers, on the lids of these buckets. And I wrote, Rhino. 500 times, and I doubt I spelt it the same way twice. That's uh, impressive. Rhino is not a long word. It's not a long word. Here you go, here you go, here you go. So it was, I think, because you are fully present, you're very energized, you're put in a tiny bit of, in this case, a big example of safe crisis. Yeah. And then you're shown something that lines up to who you are in that moment. Mm -hmm. This sort of clumsy bull in a china shop that people like. Okay, that character, that character who I don't play very often these days, uh, comes comes to life and, and has their moment. I think that is the big version of how these characters get their names because they need something to make. They're they're looking for a validation. They're looking for something that makes them 
feel as real as they feel to themselves. Otherwise, they kind of shut down and go to sleep. But also, if you start, as the performer, start making decisions. I used to think that it was so pretentious to hear someone talking, well, my clown does this and my clown does that. And I used to think it sounded pretentious. And really, it is a bit of doublethink to keep some separation between you and a mental state that is very chaotic. Yes. And I think that giving that a name so you can talk about it is incredibly useful. I'm pretty good at object permanence. If I put my glasses here, they're still here when I go looking for them again. Yes. Rhino, not so much. So I wouldn't want to confuse those things. So we say, okay, Rhino's got that and I've got this. And it creates some some very healthy separation. I think that's very valid. So I think a lot of the clown names come from that sort of thinking. Uh, And then somebody, when you're a teacher, you're you're not great or knowledgeable or wise. What you are is your objective because it's not your adventure. It's somebody else's adventure. Yeah. And so you've stepped back and you go, oh, I see you're doing this a lot. Maybe this is something. And if they respond, then it is. And if not, oh, that was a thing you saw. And it's interesting because I have also seen people try to try to name something and it not happen. It just, no. Yeah. It just, they just, and it's not a refusal. It's just not interesting. I don't think clowns will go, no, no, no. What happens is in the moment, that's just not the most interesting thing happening. Yeah, they'll just focus on something else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so you've talked about Rhino. Yeah. Which is a great story. It is a great story. But what about your clown? Oh. Do I talk about... Yeah, I can talk about that. It's funny because I think one side of this is this sort of state is where... It's where your madness lives. And I say madness with great respect. Mm -hmm. I don't say this like I'm mocking it. I, I say it as it's a powerful force. And I... I had found this persona. I had gotten kind of torn down by a few teachers and put back together by a few better teachers. And I was back and I was working and it was good. And I knew it was something different and it didn't have a name um, for a very long time. And I was looking for somewhere. I was looking for this this thing named so I could talk about it. And I would, I would just avoid talking about it. I would just kind of shy away from the topic. Or you'd say my clown. My clown, yeah. Without, without, without further... Without further pretension. Um, and I still do that. But the clown, uh, it kind of aligned to something that I had been feeling, which is the fact that I, being the creative director of a theater company, and I was, at the time, I was very actively teaching at a residency program, and I was helping a lot of people sort of emerge this clown in themselves. And I was producing events, and I was doing this, and I was doing that. And, and, and one of those things that's true about me is that I, my favorite sentence when I say it earnestly is, I'm happy to help. Mm-hmm. It's not a, none of these things are a complaint. I love doing all these things. But you have to wear a lot of hats. Yeah. And... I was having kind of a meltdown about this very fact. And then we had been workshopping a lot and I was kind of in, I was kind of half in the zone of the clown. Yeah. And the clown kind of, kind of stepped forward on this. And I remember screaming, I'm willing to be um, the expert of a topic. I'm willing to be the leader. I'm willing to be, and all of these specific phrases are memorable because we were, again, we were studying Tokipona at the time. And so, like, Yansona is the teacher. It's the knowledge person. And Yanlawa is uh, the, the, the governor person, the, te- the leader person, the in-charge person, the head person. Mm-hmm. So I was willing to be all of these different things. And I, I said, as long as I get to be a person, I'm fine with that. 
as long as I get to actually be. Yeah. And I stepped up and I said, and I said, I want to be called that. I want to be called. And it's in, in uh, Tokipono, the word for person is yan. And it's just funny to me because simultaneously it, it, it is both an important idea and very silly because how you talk about people in Tokipona is you would say, you know, you'd either say they're the Yansona, they're the knowledge person, or you would say their name, but you would start it with... You'd start it with Yan. Yeah, I, uh, we were, you, we've already mentioned, uh, Waso. Yeah, so Yan Waso. Is Yan Waso because that's how Tokipona does it. It's, it's person and then adjective for person. And so your name is an adjective describing a person and that's how that's right. how it's done and you can you can do you can actually transliterate your name into that and mine comes out like a weird grunt it's like Ue. so yeah. it's, it's not a it's not a pronounceable particularly useful word and the thing that I remember when I when I look back at this period of time is um, we had just translated Jane's name as Yansane mm-hmm and Jane very quickly, like, she accepted the name Jane, but she really accepted the name Yansane and actually introduced herself as Yansane, uh, which in English you would say Jane. Mm. And I don't remember whether it was actually Jane or whether it was me referred to you as Yan Uwe. And it was like your clown didn't understand how, despite the fact that Tokipona was like arguably his first language, it was like he didn't understand how that structure worked. And so that was first name, last name. It just seems so formal. And 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 you don't need that formality. We're all friends here, so it's just Jan. So, on the topic of these things sticking or not sticking, one of the one of the closing thoughts on this I love. Um, I mentioned earlier that I don't um, I don't do the wallpaper roll very well because I stick out too much because I am a, an egomaniac. <laughs> um, one of the things that happened was Marie had a stilt walking event and we didn't have a safety person that day. And I said, I'll, I'll go be your safety person. I'm perfectly happy and perfectly you know, perfectly capable of doing that. So I went out as a safety person. I'm wearing the, I put on the full roustabout uniform. I had the little bowler hat on. I had the little vest on. And I got all dressed up. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there trying to be as invisible as I can. And somebody, and I remember they were an older person, walked up and said, what's your name to the tree? And the tree's like, my name is Tree. And they said, and what's your name? What's your name? They turned to me. And I was like, oh, that's, that, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to just be the help. And, uh, and they said, what's your name? And I remembered very jokingly that we had had a run talking about nicknames. All of the people I had nicknamed, the reason I had nicknamed them is we had multiple roustabouts that all had the first name John. So after like the first one, we decided we couldn't have any more. They all had nicknames after that. Yeah. So I said jokingly, well, the person who stands here is usually called John. Thinking I was being clever. Mm-hmm. And the person who clearly was a little hard of hearing said, Jan, that's an interesting name, and went on about their business as I turned gray, trying to process what had just happened. And it was this weird sort of validation moment of, oh, I guess that is good. Neat. Um, 
Yeah, so you you find these sorts of things and you decide, you can either go, oh, they're weird coincidences, that's sort of charming, or you can say they're synchronistic and meaningful. And I think there's a value in accepting both possibilities. Yes. And I, I think I, spend, I have spent a lot of time um, chasing hats, quite, <laughs> li- quite literally in some cases. I have found hats in the street and walked around with them for a very long time trying to find their owner until I realized I had walked multiple miles while holding the hat I had found in the street and that meant it was mine but it took me another year to figure that out well there you are yeah but that is a true story and I think a lot of these things work very similarly to that idea that we're we're uh, we're allowing it's not we're assigning meaning we're allowing meaning yeah and that's where I think where do the names come from they are they are the words that mean that persona's state and we're allowing that meaning to stick and they're allowing it as well and the danger and I think the the, the sort of back of my head fear now f- unpacking it is that the reason why you don't want to tell everybody that name is you're afraid someone will summon it and the truth is no one can do that they could they could say that to your face and all they could do is feel foolish mm-hmm. but you're, there's this fear oh they could get power over that thing you know, is it? You know, oh, yeah. And you don't, you that. don't, you don't want that. And I think, I think there's that. I also think that, interestingly, talking about many hats and and things, that persona, for me, is very good at playing other characters. Oh, definitely. It's particularly that's one of his particular skills. Is he can he can pick up a character and play it, um, and then drop it again. Where I'm slow to do that. Yeah, by comparison. By comparison. Uh, you know, it's not that I don't have the skills. And I think there's, it gets, that state of mind gets me out of the way so I can go do other things. So it, there's this weird sort of. Layers. Layers of, of stuff going on. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's a better term than that, but I don't have it. So there's your answer. All right. I think we answered this one. I think that question got answered, we which got means it's time dunk. for the next, it's time for the next oh, question. Oh, okay. Yes. Next question, please. Next question. What are the best noises, grunts, and complaints for exercises. I feel called out by a friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are there are lots of people who come and visit us at uh, our video chats. Uh, Circus in place uh, is what we call it, and uh, there we are. We're not ju- we're not performing. We are legitimately training new, difficult, in some cases, dangerous skills. Yes, and correspondingly that means we're doing exercise and then therefore we are occasionally making some very authentic noises relating to the challenging your body to do impossible things. I noticed a few years before we were doing that a pattern in my noises. Yes. And it all it all is predicated on an awareness of one true fact about my personality. I am a coward. I am absolutely without question Afraid. That's going to be my deep fight or flight. I'm going to freak out. That's I mean, fight, flight, freak out. That's me. I, I'm not saying which one I'll actually do or what I'm actually going to do because of that knowledge, but I know it's deep in my psyche that I am afraid. Which means when I do something, I think the first time I do it and actually do it, not hold back and avoid doing it like I am because I am a coward, but I actually do it, something deep inside me screams, we're going to die. I am convinced in that moment I'm going to die. And and I have to be... And I was going to just say them and, and... 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 Oh, but we bleep. We bleep and you'll never know what it is. So I have to... I have to like talk 
about what it. But it's always. I noticed it was always the, the that visceral one was always the f bomb, always. Oh, f bomb, f bomb this, f bomb. I'm gonna f bombing die, every single f bombing time. Yep. As I became braver with the skill, and more confident in my ability to challenge it. It goes from I'm going to die to I might die. And that comes out S-bomb. Crap. Merd. Merd. Feco. Koyaki. Yeah, every time. Every time. And if people speak other languages and are easily offended, we just got them a couple of times. I feel good about that. Ta-da! Right. But, but always that. We'll see how much of it escapes our own censor. Right. <laughs> and then the last one on the on the far side of that if I get past that it's just ah! which is I think I might end up in a situation where I'm gonna die which is just a grunt mm-hmm. it's just a, ah! Ah! instead of all of those other words it's not even verbal what comes after that is deep breathing and when I hit that point I'm ready to put something on stage yeah, because it's not not appropriate to put something on a stage in front of children. Um, where you're going to scream. Where you're going to drop f bombs. You're dropping f bomb and scream. I'm going to die. Yeah. Yeah, that's not okay. No. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my progression in training and in exercising. That and a lot of complaining because a real fun fact, despite the fact that we do some very advanced physical things, I don't think of myself as athletic or a workout person. I'm a couch person. I'm currently under a blanket and sitting on a pillow and very happy about it. That's who I am as a person. And I think that idea is, uh, is in me. So there's a lot of compl- like conditioning comes with complaining. Stretching comes with complaining. So those are the mm-hmm. sounds that I'm, I think are the best and to let them out. And when you can't, when you can't, tension builds up. But when you, when you ha- you, I'm thinking about something in particular. When we were at the residency... And we weren't allowed to go F-bomb, S-bomb, grunt. You weren't allowed to do any of those things. I would announce that I was about to release a string of four-letter words. And then you would. But they'd be words like foot, cars, this, toot. Just any four-letter word I could think of that wasn't vulgar while doing something hard. Oh, and then we started learning Tokipona, which is full of four-letter words. (laughs) Kala, why are you screaming fish? Fish! (laughs) Yeah, that was fine. Uh, so yeah, I think those the, all of my answers in one would be the 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 string from f bomb to grunt, and then the string of intentional four letter words. That's what I recommend. Those are my recommendations. How about nice. you? How about you? What are your favorite sounds and words to say during exercise? Um, let's see. Well, so it's interesting where at the fear level and um intensity level where you release an f-bomb i grew up in an environment where i was not allowed to swear at all you have cured yourself uh, i have but what i will find is that like for example when i injured my wrists i didn't say anything no you didn't make a sound i don't make a sound I am completely quiet as I analyze what has occurred and feel all of the feelings. And then I'm very likely to say, ow. (laughs) This has happened on multiple occasions where I've hurt myself in the past. 
And honestly, I think it really sets me up to be prepared for any accidental injury on a stage because it's funny. The, pr- the problem is that everyone around you who knows you, when they Will hear, know that it's if, bad. If you yeah. calmly say, ow, we all freak out. Yes. Um, but but an audience wouldn't until now. Now that everyone, now they know. Now, now everyone, everyone knows. Um, what about when it goes good? But uh, yeah, when it goes good... Uh, there is a lot of I I do I do the fist pump and just go yes. Let the air out. Yes. Which is very very fun. Um, oh, and then there's this thing. Oh yeah, we do a thing where we're like both pointing at each other, and you you you. Yes. Which roughly translates to. Did you feel that? I felt that. I felt that. Did you feel that? That was really good. You did that. You did that. Well, I did that. You did that. Yes. We did that. Yes. Um, good luck. Good luck transcribing that, by the way. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, so we'll do that. Um, I also think, you know, I laugh whenever we've gotten to the point where... Um, and we have a lot of things that we're doing where you're at that grunt stage. Uh. And one of the things that I think is important, like, I don't do very much of it. But there is a history of releasing a sound with your breathing in order to maximize your effort put into a thing. Um, you see this in a lot of martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see this in heavy weightlifting. You see this in a it, it, just a lot of things. There are a lot of things where there is some sort of yell or expulsion of air, and it's part of how you remember to breathe. Mm-hmm. And it's part of how you concentrate your force into one one movement. And I know that there... Like, there are gyms that ban that practice. I can't work out there. Wherever that is, I can't go. And I respect that I respect that those sorts of things can be very intimidating for people. And so I recognize that a space is needed where that is not being done. But if you are the type of person who gains something from making a sound when you're doing the hard thing make that sound do the hard thing there is i'm pretty sure there's actual research backing up the fact that you will actually do better uh by releasing that noise so plus if you could train yourself to making a weird noise even better it's so much more fun to go whoopee 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 while doing something hard uh so so that i will definitely say make the noise Go yeah. ahead and make the noise. Make the um, noise. Unless, of course, you are currently working out in a place that bans it. Do respect the rules of the space you're in. Um, but, yeah, I... Complaints was one of the things on here. Uh, you mentioned there's a fair amount of complaining when it comes to stretching mm-hmm. and doing some of the, the the conditioning stuff. I end up doing a lot of complaints much before that. You do. Um I've noticed there there is a tendency of uh, when adrenaline is running high and we've just safely gotten me to the ground after a trick, but something has gone 
moderately wrong. I tend to be the one throwing complaints your direction. You know, and it's sometimes it's completely valid. Sometimes it's less valid. I will say, I will say this. We picked up a note uh, early on, which is never play the blame game. So when you're doing something where you have two performers that are interacting, one of the things that happens is you can only feel, I can I can feel what you're putting in my hand, but I have no idea what necessarily what that means is going on above it. So I say you're not bending your hand, but the reality is you are bending your shoulder when you're not supposed to be or something like that. And I can either come at you with a string of blame or I can say, hey, I need more of this. This is what I need and get rid of the blame and, and realize that it's a puzzle that two people are trying to solve. And I think I will give you credit while you do complain constantly, you do you do reframe it in a productive way, which has kept me from murdering you. Yes. During the time we've been working we, together. We worked really hard to start building that as our way of communicating. It's because we started feeling it. We started feeling that there, there's an adrenaline management that you have to do. But even beyond that, you start feeling that, oh, the trick went wrong. It's tense. Maybe it's because you're a terrible person. And you start going to blame because you don't want to blame yourself, especially if you don't think it's you. And so yeah. there's this set of reflexes. And the only thing to do is to unpack them and go, okay, something screwed up. Something screwed up. This is the thing I felt. This is the thing I think I need. And I have to rely on my partner to figure out whether or not there was something they need to change. Because I can't see it. I can't feel it. All I can feel is what I can feel. And all you can feel is what you can feel. And so I also have to reflect and see if there's something I can change Mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, I also am more likely to verbalize the fact that I have a shoulder that's complaining or that some muscle group is not participating the way I would like it to. You do, you do whinge. And some of that is totally whinging and totally just complaining because... You whinge. Ow. Um... <laughs> But some of that is also communicating because it's important for you to know where the likely fail points are. Sure. Because if I'm having a shoulder that's not behaving and we go into a trick. That needs a behaved shoulder. That needs a behaving shoulder and something goes wrong. Like we're always looking to make sure that we know what's going wrong. But when you know that shoulder's bad. You're not going to put me on that shoulder to take me down. One hopes. You're going to put me on the other shoulder, hopefully. So we do a lot of a lot of over communicating. Right, which as as that. as a rational person who does not have uh, all of the adrenaline from their primal brain going through my forebrain at the time, I take very well and think about deeply. No, I don't. I try really hard not to just respond by going. Rah! Which is why, which is why we started like uh, chatting about a whinge per trick count. Yeah. Uh, you do good. To, to you calm do it good. down. So yeah. This yeah, is that's what you've I'm... answered the question, and you've even thrown yourself under the bus. I'm going to now dust you off and ask you to come out from under the bus. Okay. And give you, I'll give you another question because you 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 just threw yourself under it. Okay. So maybe this one will go better for you. I I hope so. I hope. Why did you feel the last one went badly? You answered honestly. No, it was good. It was good. You're good? Yeah, I'm good. Are you all right? I'm fine. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. You're positive? Positive. Sure you're positive? And positive, I'm sure. Well, then moving on. How is your 
alternate universe evil twin doing? Who writes this stuff and how do we say thank you to them more often? Thank you. Oh yeah, thank you. That was a great I don't question. know who I don't know who put put this in because I've now I've now processed enough of these. Like I jokingly said in the first season that I knew who had who had sent in all the questions. You were lying. No, I did know. Oh, did you? I did know at that point in time. I could remember who who had said each one. No. And I have now processed so many questions that I have no idea who said anything. Well, but thank you to whomever sent this one, because this one's great. This is a good one. How is your alternate universe evil twin doing? That's a very good question. I, I should hope they're doing quite well. Um, I'm trying to imagine who my alternate universe evil twin would be. Oh, no. What? They're probably, like, exceptionally corporate. Oh, that makes sense. That's upsetting. The word that is coming to mind is girl boss. Oh. And it oh, just makes me no. sad. No, no, no. It makes me sad. Oh, that's rough. I'm sorry. Oh, but I bet they're doing great. That human being is probably doing wonderfully. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, they're doing great. They're doing great. That's, that's all you got. Okay. How, that's what I've got. I, I bet they're, they're doing, doing just fine. Okay. Uh, how is your alternate universe, Evil Twin, doing? I find it funny that the whole time I'm with you and feeling all the things you're feeling, it never occurs to me during that time that I'm going to have to answer that question in a second so I don't start thinking. So now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, so I have to assume they're in some ways they're similar. I mean, they probably have the reverse of my haircut, so they're probably bald with a goatee. Also, Mirror Mirror Universe stuff. Yeah. Evil universe. But, but you've been that person. Yeah, I know. That's even better. <laughs> Which is why I feel so such a such a tight kinship to my my alternate universe evil twin. You know, if I'm honest about myself, and this podcast proves it, I am a very boring person that has a very interesting job, and I love to talk about it. So my guess is that my alternate universe evil twin loves to talk about their job, but it's really boring. Like like what? like an accountant. I mean, I'm sure somebody finds that fascinating, but I'm bad at math, and I think that that banging on about, uh, I don't know, actuarial tables, something, I, that sounds terrible. Okay, uh, fair. And I just had the worst thought. What? Well, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of this nonsense. Yes. They probably just have a job. They might be... Oh, no. They might be your alternate universe's evil twin's accountant. In your evil company. Oh, wow. I mean, at least we're together. Yeah, no, that, that's good. That I'm, part's I'm glad, nice. I'm glad, I'm glad that our alternate universe evil twins spend time together. I suppose, in some way. I, I suppose that's, a comf- that's the comfort I'm going to take. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It probably is a lot like this now that I think about it. Did you think that they uh, that they started a podcast? They're like two corporate people in an office. Yes. Maybe, but I gotta say this: they don't have one thing that we've got. What do they not have that we've got? Well, a theme song. True. It is true. It is true, and I'm about to have it play into the room. But before I go, and before I do that, 
I want to thank you for answering questions. Well, I want thank to thank you. you. Well, you're welcome. I want to thank you for listening along at home or wherever you are in the world. If you're listening to us and you think we're funny to the point of distraction, please make sure you're safe. And if uh, you think we're really boring, try putting this on before you go to bed. It might help you sleep. Yes. Yeah. And um, if you have any questions... Good point. Do let us know. Send them in. We're gonna we're gonna release a few of these episodes, and then we're gonna we're gonna see if anybody's got any follow up questions. And yes. Then we'll go from there. And in the meantime, I want to thank you for hanging out with us uh, while we do this thing called Two Clowns in a Closet. Very nice. And now, as promised, the thing our alternate universe evil twins don't have a theme song. <laughs> <laughs>